0: Well, good morning to each of you. It's a blessing to be able to worship with you here at Mabel. Look out over the audience and see friends and people that we've contacted before, ran into. It's good to see you. Um, I did look in my notes. I think it's been a good while since I've been here. Uh, I wondered how long ago it's been. I think it's been three years and three months since I preached here. I thought that's a pretty long time, but not so much how long a time it was, what did I preach? I certainly don't want to double up and give you the same load that I gave you last time, But uh, so I'll try to preach something different. It was a little over a year ago. I was in northern Pennsylvania for a week of meetings, and uh, that area is kind of infested with Histons, Joel Histon, Jonathan Histon. Uh, Anyway... um, Was enjoyed being in that area. I preached four sermons in that series and at that point the governor of Pennsylvania and the congregation terminated my contract and they sent me home. I think it was because of COVID. Well I hope it was because of COVID. But anyway while I was there in that congregation there's a quartet in that congregation that sang, and they had made a CD. And the title of the theme for that CD is, Lord, Give Us a Vision. And there was, a, as I had plenty of time to listen to this CD over and over again, there was a song that began to resonate in my mind and in my heart. And the title of that song was, Called Out. The title of the message this morning is, We've been called out for a text this morning. I invite you to 1 Peter chapter 2. I guess I would just say that this sermon was born out of that CD or that song as that song began to resonate in my mind and heart. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. From personal experience, Peter knew what it was to be called out. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark's... uh, Mark chapter one, verses 16 and 17. Peter being called out by Jesus. Verses 16 and 17. Now as he, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who's Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, "Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men." Sounds kind of like a process. It's not what they were. i ask you to become. It was a process that, that Peter would go through. And to fulfill his call from Jesus on his life, Peter needed to lay some things aside. What did he lay aside? Number one, he laid aside the security of home. Two, he laid aside a good job and a financial stability. Three, and this is really important for Peter And for you and me, Peter needed to lay aside his own ability to make choices in life as he saw fit and to surrender his allegiance to another. And brothers and sisters, for you and I to answer the call of God in our lives will require us to respond with that kind of surrender as Jesus calls us out. You know, brothers and sisters, I really feel inadequate to be able to articulate these verses or to share. I don't feel like I have the vocabulary, nor do I have the ability to share the beauty of these text verses here. But I'll do my best. Think about the transition in these verses from the old life to the new. Think about from spiritual bondage to deliverance and freedom. Think about being in the kingdom of darkness and translated into deliverance and freedom. Think about being an outcast to identity within the family of God. Think about being one condemned to die an eternal death in hell and being now reconciled to God. I can't explain the beauty of the transition from the old life to the new but i'm asking the holy spirit to help you to understand Amen. and brothers and sisters it's more than being called out of something but what gives life joy and a vibrancy is what we are called to and that those verse that course of that song talks about what we're called to and i'd like to go over some of those things that were listed in that course and challenge us to what we're called to you know I can't look at you and tell you all the your abilities your God-given abilities that he would have used to use here at this congregation but upon the authority of God I can tell you what your purpose is that you should show forth the praise of him who have called you out of darkness and to his marvelous light that's what he's calling you to number one What have you been called to? We've been called for a purpose. And I've been impressed recently with how important it is that our lives are motivated by a godly purpose. A godly purpose is what brings joy. It brings a vibrancy. It brings fulfillment that is unattainable in what the world has to offer. The vast majority of the 7.8 billion people living on planet Earth are living their lives outside of a concept of a Creator, and they're living their lives outside of His purpose for their life. For them, there's no moral absolutes. And what's the result when somebody comes from that kind of a mindset? The natural outcome from that kind of mindset is disillusionment. I'd like to share a few staggering statistics as you think about suicide in the United States and this from about three years ago. Every year, there's 44,965 suicides in the United States. For every suicide, 25 attempts are made. I hesitate in saying this, but I'm not sure how to say it. For every successful, or for those that that attempt and actually carry through, there's 25 others that you know attempts that are made that are that do not carry through and it's an actual suicide. Suicides cost the United States 69 billion every year. And this is right staggering. There's 123 su- suicides per year. I'm sorry. There's 123 suicides per day in the United States. And I don't understand this, what I'm trying to tell you, and you're as glad much as Philip does. He talks to him on the telephone, and uh, he didn't ask me to say this. But, I, but there's a lot of people, because of no moral absolutes, no fear of God they come to the end of the rope and they think might as well end it all said paul said in romans chapter 12 verse 1 from the niv therefore i or paul urge you brothers in the view of god's mercy and here's the purpose to offer your bodies a living sacrifice holy and holy and pleasing to god This is your spiritual act of worship. What standard did Peter live by? And I don't want to drag this out for you all, but you remember Peter and John, they went to the temple and they were met there by an impotent man and they took the time to minister and they healed this man. And I'd like to turn then to Acts chapter 4 verses 8 to 10. Acts chapter 4 verses 8 to 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And then drop down to verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. What was Peter and John doing? They were showing forth the praises of him who had called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. And, brothers and sisters, what are people seeing in your life? Do they see a hope? because of who you are holding to and the blessing that you have in your life, you have taken part of that living bread and it's more than you can eat or contain and you have something to share. I encourage you on that. Very briefly, thinking about a purpose, God created Moses for a special purpose. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. We're going to move through these pretty quickly. <clears throat> Come now, therefore, and I will send thee into Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses was created for a special purpose. Not only Moses, but God created Jeremiah with a special purpose. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Lord, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto him, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and wh- and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord." God created Jeremiah for a specific, a special purpose. Not only Moses and Jeremiah, but God created Paul for a specific and a special purpose. Acts chapter 9 verse 15. God speaking to Ananias, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me. "...to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel." And I love that, where the Bible tells us that Paul was a special... It says here, he's a chosen vessel. You mean the man that was going out and killing people and turning them into prison? God says, he's special. He's special to me. When Paul was willing to surrender his life, his allegiance to another, he is great ability in God's kingdom... Same can be true of you and me. I think that's beautiful. I love that. What was his purpose? Paul's purpose was to bear my name before the Gentiles. What about you? What about me? And to the kings and the children of Israel. God had a specific purpose for Moses, for Jeremiah, and Paul. And brothers and sisters, God created you with a specific purpose in mind. Not so much to fulfill your own agenda or the things that you want to accomplish, but God has a work for you to do, a specific purpose. You are His chosen vessel. He has a specific plan and purpose for your life. Secondly, we've been called out to be a servant. And where do we go for a beautiful example of servanthood? Well, obviously, we go to the Lord Jesus. He was a beautiful servant. Philippians chapter 2 verses 4 to 8 the bible tells us look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of god thought it not robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a, a thank you a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Sometimes I like a little interchange. Thank you, Philip. I want to make sure y'all are not sleeping. I don't don't see anybody sleeping. But just make sure that we're together. God called. We have been called out to be a, a servant. Thinking of Jesus, what did he lay down? What did he give up to be your servant? Jesus laid down equality with the Father, at least for a while. Jesus was willing to lay down his reputation. Jesus was willing to lay down his former glory. Jesus was willing to lay down his residence in heaven. Jesus was willing to be born of his own creation. And Jesus was willing to give his blood and his life. We looked at that in a Sunday school class this morning how much a little bit no he was willing to give it all he gave up his life and he said it is finished mark chapter 10 verses 43 to 45 mark chapter 10 verses 43 to 45 but so shall it not be among you but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister or servant and whosoever of you will be the chiefest, shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, or to be a servant, and to give his life a ransom for many. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. And I'd like to give credit where credit's due. If I remember right, we were in a minister's meeting one time, and John Perfect from Strasbourg gave this definition of a servant. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 let a man so account of us and as I'm sorry, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That word ministers there means a servant. And he shared something like this. A servant is like an under oarsman or one of the men that would go down into the bowels of the ship and row wherever the master decided he wanted to go with that ship. He served others, went down at the very bottom, and he was serving uh, the master wherever the master chose to go. He was one down in the the bowels of the ship oaring. he was a servant. I'd like to share a, an illustration with you that that I remember uh, from some time ago. There's a man named Bob Pierce. He was the founder of World Vision, and it's my understanding that he went to visit a colleague in Indonesia at one point. And as him and this colleague were walking along the river, they happened to see a girl there laying along the edge of the river, and she seemed to be writhing in pain and just just could not find comfort and he couldn't speak the language but anyway he asked those that were along she was speaking she was saying something he said what she say what she say and he said well she's got cancer and she wanted to come out to a place that serene and spend her last days somewhere where it was peaceful so she came to out along this river and Bob Pierce was so moved by what he heard, he got out some pills. He got out some pills and he said, you give this to that girl and you give it to her and until the pills are all. And you make sure that she receives uh, her comfort and relief from the agony that she was in. And I want to ask you, is there anything anything that you must sacrifice in your life to serve others? For you see, Bob Pierce had leukemia. Bob Pierce gave the only pills that he had. He didn't give one. He didn't give two. He gave all the pills he had for somebody he didn't know so that she could find relief. And I'm asking you, what, how much is the sacrifice costing you to minister to people in need? I guess it's sometimes like this. Did I have to come to preach at Mabel? Philip, do you have to go to preach at Bethany or Mabel? Do you have to? Or is it a privilege? It makes all the difference. May God help us to serve faithfully Luke chapter 17 verse 10 Luke chapter 17 verse 10 so likewise when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you say we are unprofitable servants we have done that which was our duty to do God has given us each a work to do are we fulfilling do we have that purpose Are we being a servant as He's called us to do? Thirdly, we have been called to raise the standard. I was reminded some time ago of a good sermon that I heard from my co-pastor, Dave Miller. I think the title of that message was, What Flag Are You Flying? You know, there's many people in the world that they're not ashamed to identify With a sports team or some organization, they don't mind to wear an pastel t-shirt. They don't mind to wear um, North Face jackets. They're glad to, to wear a pair of Oakleys on their face. They're glad to wear a Rolex because it identifies them with some organization. They're happy to do that. But I'm asking you and me, what are we identifying? Are you willing to identify with Jesus Christ? As my neighbors observe my life, is there complete agreement between what I profess today on Sunday than the life I live through the week? Am I being transparent before God and men? I heard someone say of one of our bishops in Southeastern Conference, well, the way you see him through the week is what he professes on Sunday. I can't give it verbatim. But basically they were saying, you know, whatever, you know, he preaches whatever, that's the way you find him through the week. What about you and me? We can say nice things and we can look good and right on Sunday. But as we relate with the, the world or whoever we're rubbing shoulders with financially or whatever, what do people see is their complete agreement with what we say or what we profess to the life that we're living what should be our purpose in life? Matthew chapter five verses fourteen and sixteen would tell us what we're to be doing. Matthew chapter five verses fourteen to sixteen. Jesus said in the sermon on the mountain, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, but put it under a bush put put it under a Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I've heard somebody would ask the Christian, how many gospels are there? And he'd say, well, there's four. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the world says... There's five, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian, and most times they don't take time to read the first four. So what are they reading? They're reading your life, they're reading my life. Let your light so shine before men. First John 3:16 to 18. 1 John 3:16 to 18 Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren but whosoever hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him how dwelleth the love of God in him my little children let us not love in word neither in tongue but in deed and in truth We've been called out to raise a standard. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity... How many opportunities do you have? How many do I have that I let slip away, slip through my fingers like sand through an hourglass and don't take advantage? Do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Do you know anybody in the Southeastern Conference? Do you know anybody in conservative circles or others that, that needs a friend, needs some consolation? maybe you can keep your mouth shut and just open your ears you know maybe that's hard for us to do sometimes maybe that's one of the more effective things we can do they don't maybe want to hear so much how eloquent what you can say maybe they just like to know that you care do you have time for that fourthly we've been called out to be a witness What does it mean to be called out or to be a witness for Jesus Christ? I had eight verses here I was going to read, but I'm not sure exactly what time it is. I don't want to hold you unduly. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read verse 8. You know these verses well. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be what? Thank you. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The Greek word for witness is martus. Literally and figuratively it means to be what? Martyr. Correct. A martyr. Ten disciples of Jesus were a martyr. I think it was 10. all but John and Judas, I think, were a martyr for their Lord. Whether you're called to give your life and death or to, have, to submit your life a living sacrifice, we are to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. I think too often the sacrifice or the things that I've given up has been pretty small for Jesus Christ. You think of the people in other other countries whose lives are on the line they have a zeal to go out and share the message of jesus christ the good news they're willing to do that and their life is on the line what has it cost me i think pretty little sometimes some years ago um, i guess it was a lady, I think a lot of you know. How many of you know Betty Heatwold, Don and Betty from South Carolina? Okay. It's my understanding. I don't know if I can give this verbatim. I don't have it verbatim, I guess. But anyway, Don and Betty were asked to go and serve over in Afghanistan or somewhere. I don't know. I, if I remember right, they had they had given their period of service, and they was on the way home. And anyway, they got to an airport and they needed to go through customs uh, to go from one country to another. And when, I guess, in a lot of the Muslim countries, they separate the men from the women. And so Don and Betty got separated, and Betty was going through this line, separate from her husband. And the lady officer looked at her and she said, Are you a Christian? what would you say? Betty said, yes, I am. And the lady officer said, good, I am too. And gave her a big hug. We can laugh at that maybe a little bit, but basically Betty's line, could her life could have been on the line. Said, are you a Christian? And she admitted that she was. We have been called out to be a witness. To give your life, literally or figuratively, for the good of His kingdom. Lastly, we've been called out to show forgiveness. Once again, I had a longer passage. Matthew chapter 18, I think is one of the most beautiful portraits of forgiveness you'll ever find. That is the case there where the the two men were forgiven, one a large sum, one a small sum. And if you remember, the man that had been, uh, both of them had been forgiven, but the man that had been forgiven a small sum went out and grabbed another by his throat and he said, Pay me what you owe me. And the master was upset because he had been forgiven much and was unwilling to forgive a little. Do we extend forgiveness to others to the same we have received it from Jesus Christ? That's the standard. We know in the Bible it says we're supposed to love one another. But then when Jesus said, as I have loved you, that adds a whole other standard, the standard of Jesus Christ. Do we love others? Do we forgive to the same extent that we have been forgiven by Jesus Christ? And that's what you'll find there in Matthew chapter 18, a beautiful passage of forgiveness. Louis Zamperini was an American serviceman during World War War II. And he was shot down over the South Pacific and drifted 47 days. And he battled hunger, thirst, sharks, fear, bullets from Japanese planes. And later on, he was taken as a POW. Don't think that I'm promoting resisting in war, but I'd like to get to the, a deeper part of the story. To, to survive 47 days on a raft and all the things that they, they experienced would have been tremendous just to get that far. But then, I understand they drifted to an island. They were taken captive by the Japanese And there was a Japanese officer, I'm not Japanese, I'm going to call him Watanabe, and he took pleasure in beating Louis. I don't know how long he was in uh, that camp as a POW, but after the war, Louis consoled himself with the thought of going back to Japan and killing his tormentor. His life was a wreck. At night he was he had many many nightmares that he couldn't get away wh- away from and he began to drink I don't know that he entered any PTSD classes or help but man probably had little to offer Louie In 1949 Billy Graham had a tent set up in Los Angeles for a tent revival. The revival was supposed to go for three weeks, but it stretched into seven weeks. And Louis' wife begged him to take her to the meetings, and Louis refused. And later he agreed. I think his wife must have been um, related to Samson's wife, maybe. I'm not sure, but. But it was in this tent that Louis had a flashback to his experience on the raft. He remembered a promise that he had made. He said, Lord, if you save me, I'll serve you forever. Something he'd forgotten long, long ago. Louis ended up giving his heart to Jesus Christ, to the Savior. Later, Louis crafted a letter of forgiveness. He made a special trip back to Japan. He requested a personal meeting with his tormentor. His tormentor denied that meeting, and the Japanese man died a bitter man. I'd like to share one that I don't have in my notes. This won't cost you any extra. But the sad, this is this is one a sad one. On the other side of the coin, it's my understanding that there was two sisters, fairly fairly close from from Virginia who were at odds with each other when they were growing up. And they went through life, and I guess they did not get along very good, but it came to the end of life for one of them. And the one that was not on the deathbed thought, you know, really, I should go and be reconciled to my sister. She made an effort to go to the hospital and asked to, to reconcile with her sister. Her sister said, nope. Nothing one. What does Jesus say about that kind of an attitude? In Matthew chapter 6, following the Lord's Prayer, it says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive. Forgive your trespasses. It reminds me of another little story I heard one time of a of a United States company that had a bunch of of toxic waste that they wanted to get rid of, and they thought, "I know what we'll do. We'll take that toxic waste, we'll put it in barrels, and we'll dig holes outside and somewhere, and we'll we'll bury them and put them down in the ground, and we'll bury it, and we'll be done with it." Well, that's what they did, but this material inside was so toxic that it bled out of the container, and it came back, and it destroyed wells and vegetation because the substance was so toxic. And brothers and sisters, that's what ill will, and that's what resentment will do to anyone. The ill will and bitterness is so toxic, it will destroy the container that's within. So don't forget it. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 to 17. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 to 17. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright for you know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing he was rejected for he found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears in conclusion brothers and sisters you and i have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light for what purpose that you should show forth the praises of Him, that you should demonstrate His praises to a lost and a dying world. There are many people in our world today, in essence, who are asking the same question that Pilate did. What is truth? Where can they go to find that truth? And brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm really saddened by the condition of our country. It seems like the morality in our country seems to be imploding within from within. And I believe that you and I will have more and more opportunity to show a lost and a dying world, a world that's filled with disillusionment. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And I call you to that this morning. So what have you been called out from? What have you been called to? You've been called out for a purpose. You've been called out to be a servant. You've been called out to lift a standard. You've been called out to be a witness. And you've been called to show forgiveness to the world in which we live.